Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Seja Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. This week in news on Eye on the Triangle, a brief rundown of the latest news. Good evening and thank you for listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC. I'm Evan Garris. And I'm Jack Boyer. Now for today's headlines. According to NC State's technician, the Student Senate voted on its recommendations to the Fee Review Committee and determined it will support the $83 Graduated Student Center indebtedness fee. The fee was voted down in a referendum by the student body with 61.6% of the vote. The fee was approved the following day in the university's official Fee Review Committee as well as for the next four years. The increases passed by the Fee Review Committee are the following. In the fall of 2010, $83. Fall of 2011, $185. Fall of 2012, $275. The fall of 2013, not to exceed $290. To see a full list of the fees the committee approved, check out wknc.org slash blog after tonight's show. Here follows an editorial printed in today's edition of the Technician NCSU student newspaper. The opinions expressed are not necessarily those of this program, WKNC, student media, or the university. It is entitled, Technician Regrets the Error. Student government held a fee referenda for students to give input on the fee process on Tuesday. It is one of the few instances during the year where students can give the student senate direct input about the fees they would like to see. Technician regrets asking students to vote in the election and sincerely apologizes to the students who wasted five minutes of their time on what amounted to glorified fraud. Student Senate's perverted the tally atrium fees unequivocal results and used a ridiculous criteria system where students could clearly vote against the proposed fee, but it could still pass as the students will. Their astounding intelligence and insight is nothing short of brilliance. It takes a truly heroic characters to valiantly vote against the will of a voting body that included slightly less than 6,000 well-informed students. Secondly, students should congratulate senators for pointing out how inferior they are compared to the scholarly lions in the Senate chamber. Students should appreciate the senators' incredible omniscience and the size of their wallets and appreciate the ways that they insulted the students on Tuesday. That is, there is nothing that excites students more than having their direct will subverted by students who are, who are on the cusp of justice and civic duty. Essentially, the student senators, students' advocacy, the students' advocacy body addressing the concerns of the student body and bringing those concerns to the attention of the university took what could have been an opportunity to represent their constituents and used a bizarre interpreting methodology to do the administration's will. Chancellor Jim Woodward sent the university fee committee recommendations for what he would like the university to do. Many leaders have indicated the entire process was a done deal before it started. The referenda didn't matter, and the fee review committee was just going to give the chancellor's proposals a rubber stamp of approval. The student senate may not have had the power to unilaterally block the fee in its current form, but student body president Jim Sereznik and student student senate president Kelly Rogers had votes at the university fee review committee. Student Senate had an opportunity to represent students and recommend that Rogers and Sresnik follow students' will and fight against the proposal in the committee meeting Wednesday. Instead, the Student Senate ignored students and did what it wanted. Technician apologizes for asking you to believe the democratic process has any weight in the decision-making process of the university. Again, that was an editorial printed in today's edition of The Technician. The opinions expressed are not necessarily those of this program, WKNC Student Media, or the university. Now for your breaking news. The New York Times is following a story in Pakistan where a suicide car bombing has killed 41 people and wounded dozens more. The bombing occurred in the Shangla district located in the Swat Valley, an area recently declared by the Pakistani military as free of Taliban insurgents. 
However, with this latest attack, militants have made their con- their continued presence clear, as well as exacted revenge for the death of their leader, Baitullah Massoud, who was killed in an American drone strike in August. The attack is also reportedly aimed at discouraging the Pakistani military from expanding its campaign in Waziristan, a known Taliban stronghold. Gay rights advocates descended on Washington, D.C. this weekend as a show of unity in the fight for equality. NPR reports that tens of thousands gathered for the National Equality March on Sunday, many energized by a speech given by President Obama on Sunday night promising to end discrimination against gays and allowing them to serve openly in the military. Speeches were given by prominent activists from across the country, including Lieutenant Dan Choi, Judy Shepard, and Julian Bond, chairman of the NAACP, who linked the struggle for gay rights to the fight for civil rights. The march was organized by Cleve Jones, creator of the AIDS Memorial Quilt and protege of gay rights pioneer Harvey Milk. Claws have come out in the fight for health care reform. Insurance companies released a report today announcing their stark opposition to the Senate's proposed health care bill, according to the AP. The report claims that health care reform would drive up costs to the consumer, but the White House categorically rejected these claims, calling the report a hatchet job. However, this report has put the White House and congressional Democrats on the offensive a day ahead of a critical vote in the Senate Finance Committee. America's health insurance plans, known as AHIP, a major lobby for the health insurance industry, engineered the release of this report, marking a shift in strategy on the part of the insurance companies previously working behind the scenes to prevent reform. The Associated Press is reporting that two Americans have received the Nobel Prize in economics. Oliver Williamson and Eleanor Ostrom were awarded the prize for their work on analyzing economic governance, the rules by which people exercise governance in companies and economic systems. Ostrom is the first woman to receive the prize in economics and the fifth to be awarded a prize this year, setting a record. Americans were well represented this year, winning 11 of the 13 Nobel Prizes, one even going to President Barack Obama last week. Reuters reports that North Korea has test-fired two missiles off of its east coast and declared a no-sail zone in the area from October 10th to the 20th. These latest developments come after, the, after Pyongyang has signed, or signaled, rather, its willingness to return to the six-party talks regarding its nuclear program. Whether or not these tests were routine military exercises has not been determined, but they coincide with reports that the U.S. is sending its aircraft carrier, the USS George Washington, to the port of Busan in South Korea on Tuesday. On this day in 1810, the first Oktoberfest was conducted. The Bavarian royalty invites the citizens of Munich to join the celebration of the marriage of Crown Prince Ludwig of Bavaria to Princess Theresa von Sachsen-Hildburghausen. Also on this day in 1901, President Theodore Roosevelt officially renames the executive mansion to the White House. And in 2000, the USS Cole was badly damaged in Aden, Yemen by two suicide bombers, killing 17 crew members and wounding at least 39. Also in the weather tonight, after uh, another round of moderate rain showers over the next few hours, the rain will give way to spotty drizzle tonight under mostly cloudy skies with lows around 50. Tomorrow starts off with a few clouds but becomes a gorgeous, mostly sunny afternoon with a high around 77. Wednesday will be much like today, mostly overcast and widespread rain showers with a high of only 52. Thursday and Friday, again, are likely to be mostly cloudy and drizzly with highs in the mid-50s and lows in the mid-40s. Tomorrow is the day for outdoor activities, apparently. And that's the news. Stay tuned for more on Eye on the Triangle. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle's news segment. Thanks, John and Evan, for giving us the news. We also just got an email from Chancellor James Woodward about the executive director at the Alumni Association. John, you want to tell us a little bit about that? 
It uh, reads, Dear NC State Alumni, as some of you have perhaps heard by now, a change in the position of Associate Vice Chancellor for Alumni Relations slash Executive Director of the Alumni Association will take place immediately. The decision was made to... This decision was to make this change was made by me following extensive discussions with our trustees and others based on a careful and thorough evaluation of the organization and especially the trends, financial and otherwise, now underway. I firmly believe that the new leadership is needed if the divine mission and purpose that Lenny Barton, class of 77, 81 masters and 87 doctors of education has made to NC State and the Alumni Association during his long career at NC State and wish him well as he pursues future endeavors. That is Lenny Barton. NC State's best years are ahead, and I invite all alumni to help build a stronger and more vibrant alumni alumni relations program and alumni association in support of your university. Thank you. A letter from Jim Woodward, the chancellor of NC State. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm Seja Hindi. Next up, we have technician senior sports writer Sean Clem and deputy sports editor Tyler Everett to give us a rundown of this past week with the football team and a look at what's ahead. So, Sean, what? how do you guys feel about you know, last week's football game, what do we expect out of the team? Uh, honestly, I came into this season with, with incredibly, incredibly high expectations. Probably um, the highest I've had since I've been a student here, the highest I can remember since really Philip Rivers was here, honestly. And um, the game was just a huge letdown. It really, Thaddeus Lewis and the rest of the Duke offense just really exploited our secondary, I feel like, and passed all over us for over 400 yards, five touchdowns. It was really just a sore, sore, sore sight. What do you think, Tyler? Um, I think we found out why people drink so much before state football games. Uh, being sober and trying to handle what we saw out there was, was pretty – it was rough on all the fans. Just unbelievably, unbelievable that both the man and the zone could fail that miserably. And uh, it's, it's going to be a long season if, if drastic improvements are not made in the secondary because every team now won't even – Think to, won't even think to run the ball because why would you when it's clearly so easy to pass the ball on us? Most of the time those receivers were catching the ball. Nobody was even nearby, and Lewis had 10 incompletions, and I believe five of them were drop passes, so imagine if his receivers were more sure-handed. It could have even been a longer day. Right, like you said, um, our run defense has been solid throughout the year, but if, if no team needs to establish a run to beat us and they can just beat us through the air, then, then no one will. Um, I thought that the play of the D-line was, was good, but Thaddeus is obviously an elusive quarterback and uh, was able to get away. We didn't get – got a couple sacks, I think. But, um, you know, I mean, we're, we're getting pressure on him. We're doing fine. But the, the secondary was just getting – was just getting burnt. Beat like they stole something, really. And uh, like you said, improvements need to be made drastically or else it's going to be a very, very long season. Uh, something to keep uh, – take into consideration is that Lewis is definitely a, a very good quarterback with second-team All-ACC last season and very experienced so it wasn't like a an experience or a bad quarterback did that to us but that still doesn't excuse giving up that kind of yardage and another alarming thing is you can be sure Tom O'Brien and company will not want to let the pass will not want to let opposing offenses have so much success through the air but by the time we drop enough people into coverage to to stop the pass more effectively the run defense is going to become a problem because if we start dropping eight into the secondary to take away the pass. It doesn't matter how good our defensive line is. If we have to have everybody in in coverage and no one in the box, then the run defense is going to be an issue, and it's going to be a long season unless those guys in the back four and the linebackers get better pass coverage. Right, and like you said, it, it very well could be a long season. This game coming up against Boston College is huge um, for us, for Tom O'Brien, for the school. 
for for everything really. Uh, you know, it's t- we're talking with Ryan Coach. He's really turned the program around there. Um, we're going up to Chestnut Hill on Saturday, so it should be a really huge game. Last year, I remember that they uh, they sort of passed all over us again. Uh, it was it was a close game. We ended up losing by a touchdown, I believe. But um, they they had great 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 success through the air that game too. So it'll really really be interesting to see how how the defense responds, how uh, how the secondary responds, and uh, how the problems are addressed by Tom O'Brien and the rest of the coaching staff. One thing on a more optimistic note is we have a favorable we have as favorable of an ACC schedule as we could possibly ask for. We we don't see Miami, we don't see Georgia Tech. Those are two of the three best teams in the conference. And uh, two encouraging things about the Virginia Tech game are, are that it's so much later in the season, perhaps, we'll have some of these issues, if not fixed and improved upon, by the time we go up to Blacksburg. I believe it's November 21st, hopefully that. And um, also, if you look at this, the standings in the Coastal Division right now, uh, all but two teams have as many losses. We have two losses in conference play. All but two teams in our half of the ACC have at least that many, if not more, uh, believe Wake's in first right now and they have uh they're at not positive but they have two games against ranked teams coming up so they very well could have at least uh two if not three losses by the end of the month so so things are looking up considering how bad the game was Saturday based on the schedule things are not as bad as they could be if if our schedule was a little bit more difficult right and Florida State's been struggling a lot we got we're playing them. Uh, yeah, that game won't be near as hard as we would have originally anticipated. Right, it's always tough to play in Tallahassee, but this year is, is really not Florida State's year, and they're they're not doing well, they're not performing, so hopefully we can walk away there with a win. And let's hope they don't have it turned around by Halloween when we go down there because we know Florida State's typically not going to lose every game, and they very well might have the problems that are making them lose right now. They might have those fixed by the time we go down there. Absolutely. <laughs> on the Triangles VIP. Talking to people that matter. Hazing always seems to be a heated topic among the Greek community. I on the Triangle received a news tube this week about the suspension of Zeta Psi for this very reason. We talked to IFC President Ben Sari to give us a little insight on the Greek community and this hazing incident. You can listen to it now. My name is Benton Sori. I am a senior, about to graduate in December. I'm the current Interfraternity Council President here at NC State. I am a member of Delta Sigma Phi fraternity. I used to be chapter president last year. I was also chapter vice president, um, and I've been a member of this organization since spring of 2006. Why all this involvement with Greek life? What made you want to be a part of this? Well, I have a uh, have a long tradition of my family being involved in Greek organizations. My grandfather was a Sigma Chi at State. My father was a PKP at State. My mother was an 80 Pi at State. And it's natural for me to get involved in things, especially in leadership positions and whatnot. And I found that um, these are organizations I care about deeply, and these are ways, um, and these are ways I I really feel I can I can make an impact on NC State's community, um, and at the same time do something I enjoy. What is your role as IFC president? I oversee uh, general overarching issues in the fraternity community here at NC State. Um, I make sure uh, that everybody's rush goes successful. Um, I oversee our standards program internally through IFC. I uh, provide logistics services and support for the individual chapters. And in general, um, I'm here as a support staff member for uh, the 23 organizations we have on campus. What is the standards program? Standards program is just a way to make sure that each chapter is following um, general 
rules and regulations. I, I like to say that it's a way to make sure the chapters have a pulse. It's a way to make sure that they're uh, staying out of trouble, they're doing good things, they're staying visible, and they're active in the community. Um, you know, it's, it's not so much as staying out of trouble as it is making sure that they're, they're, they're operating as an organization, they're still doing community service projects, they're still doing social events, they're still participating in, in uh, intramural athletics. Um, you know, the whole gamut um, to make sure that the, the guys in the chapter are having the best possible fraternity experience at state as they can. Earlier today, we talked to the director of Greek Life, John Mounts, about Zeta Psi and their suspension from NC State because of hazing. What can you tell us about that incident? The, this, the history of this organization can be traced back a long ways to the old KA chapter here at NC State that was actually uh, faced similar punishment um, probably a half dozen years ago or so. And um, the chapter stayed underground. Um, some of the members held out hope that KA would be allowed to recolonize here on campus and they would be the founding members. Um, when that wasn't apparent, um, some of these same guys decided to uh, start a new chapter and were able to find Zeta Psi that would provide them a charter. Um, they went through the charting process, but unfortunately IFC, before I was president, did not allow them to receive full membership because they did not live up to their standards obligations. Um, after that took place very soon afterwards, uh, Paul Cousins and the Greek Life Office brought hazing allegations or brought up hazing allegations against the chapter. And last week, they were finally found guilty of these charges. Is this something that happens pretty often? No, hazing charges are rare. Um, or allegations of hazing charges are rarely proven to be true. Um, hazing is such a, depending on who you talk to, it's either a black and white issue or a very hazy, fuzzy issue. Um, a lot of times, allegations are just that. They're just allegations, and they're baseless. Um, I think the last time we had a fraternity that actually was in trouble because of hazing allegations was KA uh, when they were kicked off uh, probably six years ago. But that, that was a tough period in C State's fraternity community's uh, history because uh, SAE faced the same allegations. My own chapter, Delta Sig, faced the same allegations, and KA did as well. Um, KA and SAE, or SA and Delta Sig were able to rebound and are today both successful chapters, whereas uh, KA, you see, uh, they're just now recolonizing with a completely and totally new brotherhood with help from their nationals. Ben, do you mind elaborating a little bit on the Zeta Psi incident? Well, as I said earlier, they were suspended from um, campus for five years and the Office of Greek Life or Department of Greek Life and Student Conduct recommended their charter be taken away by their nationals. Um, you know, th this was the culmination of a year-long investigation um, process by Paul Cousins in cooperation with uh, Greek Life. Um, you know, this time last year, they were ordered to cease and desist all chapter operations while the investigation occurred. Um, unfortunately, they, they did not cease and desist. Um, they uh, they continue to have pledges. They continue to do a rush. They continue to do a philanthropy. They continue to uh, to have normal functioning chapter operations. Um, you know, whether this was a deliberate uh, slap in the face of the Greek Life Office. If this was, uh, you know, somehow or another trying to thwart um, authority, I'm not sure. But you know, these guys, for whatever reason, have a national organization that continues to back them, um, and it gives them legitimacy in the National Interfraternity Council's eyes. So there's only so much that we can actually do to kick them off campus because our hands are bound on what's called the Open Expansion Policy where the National Interfraternity Council, which is the, the national overarching organization, says that we have to let chapters operate on campus as long as they have a charter. We cannot deny them membership into the Interfraternity Council. Um, 
so this puts us in a tough situation because this is a group that has a reputation of, you know, walking back and forth across the line of what's acceptable and what's unacceptable from time to time. Um, there have been, you know, rumored events that are unsubstantiated, such as there was an incident um, involving a brother who, uh, or a brother or a pledge who had a medical issue, um, um, and there, there are rumors involving, you know, hazing involving paintball. Now, none of these rumors are substantiated. You know, for all I know, they're, they're complete and total third-hand hearsay. Um, but, you know, the, the, the reputation is there, and I think that, the judicial board and the uh, and the um, and the Greek life office, you know, they they follow the the policy with with regards to hazing that where there's smoke, there's typically fire. Um, you know, in regards to the, the chapter operations, they they did not follow the terms of their punishment. They did not follow the terms of their probation. Um, so that they were you know basically walking into their own grave. Um, you know, the the, ne- the next step. The ball is in the chapter's court. Um, it's in the national organization's court to see how Zeta Psi steps up to the plate and treats these guys, whether or not they tell them that you have to stop acting as a chapter and we're not going to back you more, or will this continue to be an issue where they say, we'll continue to back you because they have no right to do this to you. Um, then the issue becomes larger than just NC State. It becomes larger than me. It becomes a fight between NC State's Greek life, the National Air Fraternity Council, and Zeta Psi's national organization. Um, and hopefully it won't come to this, but uh, but you never know. You never know of these guys. Um, I would like to think that this would end cleanly and quickly, um, but uh, but it's a tough situation because Z- Zeta Psi has good guys in their chapter. Um, they have good people. They do good things, um, but uh, a few bad incidents can spoil a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough when things aren't substantiated and – and their allegations, because you have to see through what the allegations are and find the truth, and you have to find out what's the best path for an organization as far as the community comes forward to. Um, but that's where they stand today. We keep talking about hazing pretty broadly. What is hazing to you? To me, is putting an individual in a situation where he is extremely uncomfortable, he does not want to be there, he's under incredible pressure to do something that he does not want to do, um, Anything, anything that, that, that is unwanted by that particular individual, it, it's tough because you can say that you can say a certain action is hazing, but what if you take it just one step below that certain action? Is that not hazing, or is that still considered hazing? Is it done in the spirit of hazing? Um, it's tough. It's tough. It's arbitrary, and it's something that, um, as much as I hate to say it, it has to be determined almost on a case-by-case basis because there's no real good eyeball test for it. What kinds of programs do you guys have in Greek life that teaches fraternities and sororities to avoid situations like this or at least advocates for responsible behavior? Well, one great program that we do in partnership with Campus Police is the Responsible Behavior Initiative. Um, where We partner specifically with, uh, or not partner with, but uh, we work specifically with Lieutenant Richard Potts. Um, who's been a great resource for the um, fraternities and sororities to make sure that fraternities are um, are acting the way they should be in uh, risk management situations and pledge situations. We also have education programs with um, with uh, the chapter presidents to teach them how to go about um, how to go about uh, you know conducting a pledge process in a responsible manner. Um, you know, every year we have our annual uh, Greek leaders retreat where everybody goes. Um, we collaborate. We talk about situations. Talk about how we can handle them. Um, but our biggest, 
our biggest resource is oversight. Um, we oversee the pledge process uh, for each chapter. We require them to turn in dates. We require them to turn in events. We require them to turn in a timeline as well as our education program so that we can make sure they're following that to the letter of the law. Um, you know, If not, then we have that resource to turn to. We can look and say, you said you were going to do this, but you didn't. You deviated from your course. Um, you know, what, what's the deal here? What's the issue? Uh, and that way, uh, you know, we, we, we can hold people accountable for their actions. And that was Ben Sari, IFC president on Eye on the Triangle's VIP. For more, check out wknc.org slash blog. This is Eye on the Triangle's VIP section. Next up, we have an interview with Greek Life Director John Mounts about Zeta Psi's hazing situation. My name is John Mounts, and I am the Director of Greek Life here at North Carolina State University. Thanks for joining us today. The first thing I wanted to start out with is to ask you why you feel like it's important to have a strong Greek Life presence on campus. Well, we've had fraternities and sororities on our campus since 1895, and one of the unique things that they do is they provide opportunities for students to get involved Uh, Just like you're involved with WKNC, Greek organizations provide opportunities for students to be involved, and that helps them stay connected to the campus. Just like any other student organization, um, ours are a little unique in that they often provide housing, uh, they have some national affiliations, but at the core, it's an opportunity to be involved, and we know that that's a tremendous benefit for students in terms of their academic success and their retention. How long have you been involved with Greek life at NC State? I've been here since uh, the summer of 2000, so I'm, I'm in my 10th year and I'm just uh, thrilled to, to be a member of this community. What kinds of obstacles would you say you faced working with Greek life at NC State? You know, we have great students. That's first and foremost. And we have over 50 organizations and over 2,200 students involved in those groups. And one of the challenges we have is simply the scale of that. We bring in, you know, about 800 new members every year. So we have a lot of transition And we spend a lot of time uh, helping those new students learn what it means to be a member of a fraternity or sorority, acclimating to our community, understanding what the community values are and what they need to do to uphold those values. And that's a that's a constant process for us and the core part of our mission in the Department of Greek Life. You made it pretty clear from our conversations earlier that Greek Life has a pretty strong stance against hazing. How do you guys deal with situations like that of Zeta Psi from last week? Um, Let me tell you a little bit about uh, the Greek community and its stance on hazing, then I can talk a little bit more about about Zeta Psi. Hazing is completely antithetical to the the founding values of fraternities and sororities, and it has been banned by all national fraternities and sororities. Every campus that I've ever had any communication with has a policy against it. I mean, it is a, a crucial problem that our organizations work very hard every day to to deal with and and to uh, uh, keep uh, from participating in those activities. So the incidents um, with Zeta Psi, what happened last week is that the Student Judicial Board had a hearing involving incidents with Zeta Psi from actually fall of 2008. And the organization was actually found responsible for three violations of the Code of Conduct, uh, hazing being one of them alcohol violations, and uh, furnishing uh, incorrect information to a university official. So the incidents occurred in the fall of 2008. They were adjudicated by the Student Judicial Board last week. Okay, so this isn't actually something that happened recently. No, this is not a recent incident. This is an incident that um, required a great deal of investigation by staff in my office who then turned the findings over to the Office of Student Conduct, and the Judicial Board hearing just occurred 
uh, last week and the organization received their sanction, uh, they were suspended. Their registration as a student organization uh, was suspended for five years by the Student Judicial Board. And this is just at NC State? This is just the NC State chapter, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about what you know about the incident? I can I can give you some some details of that. Generally speaking, um, the chapter was found responsible for, in, from a hazing perspective, they were having their members uh, run personal errands for the for the members of the organization. The member new members were on call uh, at all times to drive students all over the place to pick them up from bars in Chapel Hill to drive them to a wedding out of state to drive them to uh, an event down at the coast and back. And so they really were using them under what we term in, in the field as kind of a personal servitude role. They're also responsible for having alcohol at recruitment events, which is a violation of not only university policy, but their national policy of all recruitment events must be uh, free of alcohol and certainly providing alcohol to underage. And the, uh, they also falsified some documentation about their new member program to our department. Have you had any other incidents like this this year? We've not had any other um, allegations of of incidents like this with organizations this year. You know, we will often talk to members of chapters. We try to do a lot of proactive education. Here's what the policies are, and here's some of the things that you can do that might get you into trouble, but also here are the things you can do that will keep you out of trouble. Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of time working with our chapters on that. When you first hear of an incident like that, what is your first reaction? Um, You know, we try to stay very open-minded and professional about it. Our job is to identify whether or not we think uh, there's some validity to the allegations, uh, gather information, um, and then we turn that information, if we think it is uh, a a violation, we turn that over to the Office of Student Conduct. Our process in the department is to serve as the educators, the advisors, the advocates for our Greek organizations, and part of that is making sure that our groups are held accountable, but we are not uh, at the core of the final decision-making process with a with a judicial sanction. How do you generally find out about hazing situations? Um, we hear a great deal from students, okay. uh, whether both within organizations, um, when there are problems, we hear from other organizations, hey, um, this is what we saw. We may receive information through a police report that, that's provided to us about something that we think you know, this needs to be investigated. We hear a lot from parents. Parents are very concerned about their students' well-being they often will call our office when they think something might be wrong. And and a lot of times they're calling to see, are they correct? Mm -hmm. You know, the parents will call and say, this is what my son or daughter is doing. Is this okay? And so a lot of times what we end up doing is, is, is discussing it with the parents and we let them know, yeah, what you're describing is okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's what you want to be on the lookout for though. If you see something like this, please call us back. Generally, when pledges do go through hazing, what do you think makes them stick through it and not report it to Greek life? Sure. You know, unfortunately, hazing is prevalent uh, across our society. It's prevalent in uh, athletic teams and clubs, and and certainly we see incidents of it coming from high schools and now junior high schools and and all over the place. And it really comes down to the fact that you have um, students who want to gain entry to a group. And it's easy for them to sort of go through activities. And oftentimes, oftentimes what we see is hazing that starts off at a very minor nature and builds over time. And by the time the students who are being hazed realize it, they're participating in some pretty serious activities. And it's all about wanting to be a part of the group. And, and they're, they're 
either consciously or, or, or unconsciously willing to um, participate in some activities they probably wouldn't in other cases because they want to be a part of that group. You also mentioned that when parents call, you give them a list of things that they should be looking out for. What kinds of things fall under that list? Well, we certainly recommend to, to parents that they um, have a good sense of how their students are doing academically. Um, are they having a what I would call a normal college student schedule? And granted, you know, college students have a pretty crazy and hectic schedule, but um, if their sons or daughters are not ever spending any time in their rooms, if they are clearly and consistently engaged in activities with the organization five, six, seven days a week for many, many hours, that, that's just too much time mm-hmm. to put into it. And the organizations, um, most of our organizations do a very good job of trying to manage the amount of time that their new members are engaged in fraternity or sorority activities because they know they need time to go be students. They need time to relax. They need time to themselves. You know, and the, probably the biggest thing that I see uh, on our campus is that um, groups tend to, to overtax the schedule of new members. They just need to work harder on that piece. Okay. How many situations of hazing would you say you have to deal with yearly? Well, it, you know, certainly we receive, um, I won't say a lot of calls, but we receive calls every year um, about things that we investigate. And oftentimes we find that they are unsubstantiated or they're very minor. Uh, in minor being, they don't rise to the level of violating the code of student conduct, but it's an opportunity for us to sit down with a chapter, uh, set of chapter officers and say, hey, here's what we're hearing. Talk with us about this. And our chapter officers are very good about saying, well, here's what we're doing and here's why we were doing that. Mm-hmm. And if we're able to do that, then we are able to help get that group uh, perhaps a little bit back on track. Um, not to imply that they're necessarily really far off the track, but we help get them refocused on where they want to do, and 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 we've done a very good job of that. Um, a, a incident of this severity, uh, we probably only see maybe one or two of these every couple of years. You know, we had a series of them in 2004, which resulted in the closing of uh, several organizations at that time, and so we have not really seen an incident like this since then okay switching gears a little bit can you give us an update on the greek village sure um that certainly has dominated uh our uh work in the office and everybody's attention we are right now uh, about a month away from finishing up all of the construction of phase one infrastructure and so we have opened uh, the new streets that we have constructed, the building lots are just about ready for the first four groups to start. Uh, we anticipate Sigma Nu starting construction this spring. They actually held a ceremonial groundbreaking about two weeks ago with their alumni and their undergraduates. So um, it is going well. You know, certainly the uh, the economy has slowed down uh, the chapter's abilities to raise money. They are still fundamentally committed to it. The university is still fundamentally committed to it. I think we're all trying to uh, keep this project going as as quickly as we can, realizing there's some sort of a new economic reality out there that, that's guiding some of our decisions. How do you feel like this benefits Greek life at NC State? Our groups have been clamoring for new housing for a long time, and certainly for the groups that moved into the university-owned houses there in the early 1960s, which are rental properties, have wanted to own their own houses for many, many years. You know, this is going to do a number of things. It's going to provide new housing for our students. It's going to provide houses that are better equipped for the organizations to do the things they want to do. 
it's going to allow for a level of alumni engagement, not just in financial support, but involvement with the chapter that um, we probably haven't seen on this campus in, in many, many years. And certainly we spend a lot more time talking with alumni now than we did 10 years ago when I got here. There's, there's literally not a day that goes by that we're not talking with fraternity or sorority alumni about the Greek Village Project. And to kind of wrap it up, what kinds of things is the Department of Greek Life doing right now? You know, one of the things that will be will be great is that, you know, tonight while this is airing, we'll actually be recognizing uh, over 20 of our organizations and about 10 of our individual student leaders on campus at our annual awards program. So we're excited about this. That really tells the story about the great things of our organizations. And when we read the standards binders, the the documents the chapters submit that tell us what they do, it really blows me away every year to see all the great educational programs and all the service and all the involvement that these students have on campus. It's a it's a real testament to the value of those organizations and to the leadership that our students provide in those groups. Well, thank you so much. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, I just appreciate the opportunity to come talk with you. Thank you. And that was John Mounts, Director of Greek Life on Eye on the Triangles VIP. For more, be sure to check out our blog at wknc.org slash blog. on Eye on the Triangle. Your local music news. week on Hear This, we took a look into the vaults of WKNC, which allowed us to dig up some local nuggets of the past. So for this week, we turned to two North Carolina acts who are hoping to have their 2009 releases become cataloged in the WKNC vaults. First, we have a duo from Greensboro, whose music swims somewhere between post-rock and instrumental art metal. Bronze Chorus is guitarist Adam Joyce and drummer Brennan O'Brien. Their April release of this year, properly titled I'm the Spring, came out on Athens label Hello Sir Records, who is home to such groups as Cinemechanica and Maserati. The duo fits well in the family of Hello Sir bands, but their own sound stands out, and loudly. They have an energy that leaves little room for taking a breath, never mind lyrics. During a live show, Brennan O'Brien will take one hand away from playing drums to play a small keyboard setup next to the drum set, all while keeping tempo. The two-piece sounds like a four-piece with song after song of layered angular guitar riffs and complex drum beats that build to a climatic point of resolution, like in this song, Arches.
Bronze Chorus will be playing Tiernanog for Local Beer Local Band Night on October 15th with label mates in Arctic. And now, new to the scene, well, somewhat new to the scene, is Durham band Luego. With frontman Patrick Thielen, Luego combines the effort of triangle rock legend Peter Hallsapple on guitars and keys, Rob DeMauro on drums, Nick Yeager on guitar, as well as man of many talents Jeff Crawford on bass and supporting vocals. The efforts of Phelan and his mates will culminate Saturday at the Local 506 with their debut release of their album, Taped Together Stories. The album showcases the group's ability to write catchy alt-pop songs familiar of Tom Petty with a southern twist of Neil Young or Bottle Rockets. But they don't limit themselves to a formulaic sound such as in this song, Migraine. You come out swinging with a hammer Hit the first nail, it's me Oh, you sure need a heartbreak I'll be the first one you Luego will be showcased in the local beat this Friday here at WKNC at 5 p.m. with DJ K. As always, for more information about local music, you can visit wknc.org slash blog. Student of the Week on Eye on the Triangle. Talking with Wolfpackers that are leading the pack. Eye on the Triangle's Wolfpacker of the Week, Matt Robbins, a graduate student finishing up the architecture program at the College of Design, sees the campus of NC State a little bit differently than most of our community. When did you begin to get passionate about buildings? You know, I really don't know where, where it starts. Uh, you know, I guess it's something innate in my childhood. I like to play with Legos. I like to build things with bricks outside. I built a treehouse with my dad when I was younger. So, I mean, I had this, I don't know, I, I really... I really enjoyed building things and using my hands to build structures. You know, most of us just blew them up at the end or threw them on the ground and broke them in explosions. You know, that was the cool part about it. But, you know, I, I really got excited about the built environment whenever I was in uh, undergrad at NC State. But I started noticing a lot of the stuff around campus that a lot of people wouldn't typically notice. I mean, you know, how buildings were joined together or um, how people would use a specific kind of space. Your graduate thesis is centered around the historic yet incomplete Memorial Bell Tower. Can you give us some history on the building? Sure. I guess to, to make a really long story short, it was started in the 1920s from the alumni who wanted to erect a memorial to all of the 33 state college men who died in World War I. And, you know, several propositions, you know, flagpole, big triumphal arch. It was ultimately settled on that they do something completely different than the rest of the campus architecture, modeled after the Gothic Towers of West Point to be a giant, formerly known as the NC State Memorial Chime and Clock Tower. And it was to be 115 feet tall, surmounted with a carillon of 54 bells and a, uh, a very large eight-foot Gothic glass clock face. And inside would be a spiral lighthouse staircase leading up to a carillon 
playing chamber where several people or just one individual would go and play live concerts for the community so that it would be much like a lighthouse for those state college students to find their way back home. That it wasn't to be a, a dead memorial, something stoic and just standing there, but it was to be something living, visible, and audible that people across Raleigh would hear it and remember the sacrifice that the state college men had given us. So in the 19, uh, 1930s, you know, construction was well underway, but the Great Depression happened and the tower stopped at about 45 feet tall for about, about 10 years. And after that, the government stepped in under a new deal by FDR called the Works Progress Administration. It was a stimulus package, you know, in 1930s, and it allowed people to get jobs in the quarry to get stone from Mount Airy to be quarried here and brought up to finish the tower, the tower proper, that is. When we got to the top, the government basically said, we finished your building. It's your responsibility to fund the interior and finish it for your standards. Good afternoon. And the government's part in it all was done. And we were left with the senior classes of 41 to 48 trying to fund the bells. They were only able to raise about 3000 to $4,000. And with that, it was still a far cry from the 100000 they needed to purchase the bells, even in 1948. They were never able, able to purchase them. So what sits in the tower now, remaining from that day, is an electronic Carillon system, a bunch of little metal rods stowed away in a basement in Holiday Hall in a closet uh, that are mechanically played and kicked from the bottom and amplified. And that's what you hear outside the tower today. So the tower still stands uh, unfinished by its original design standards. It turns out that you're not the only one interested in seeing the bell tower completed based on its original designs from the 1920s. Please tell us what's been going on in the campus community. So I'm really excited to see that the campus community, especially the students, are getting involved with this in a radical way. The students are absolutely crucial, to, instrumental to this project seceding because several reasons. Number one, once the students get involved, they really, they're not going to be able to raise you know, a ridiculous amount of money because that's not the, their type of demographic. We're already broke. The university already has our tuition. What more do they want from us? Why should we just give you money? Well, that's why we're selling the shirts. You get something in return, and your money goes straight towards the tower. So it's not like they're really donating their money. They're getting a product in return. So that's how we are synchronizing our efforts with the students. On top of that, the senior class gift will be um, pulled together with that money and will be something substantial. And I really do believe that the students pulling together to do something that's been two, three years in the making is going to really shake the foundations of how the alumni and the community look at the students to say, oh, wow, the students have never done anything together this of this magnitude. This is unprecedented. Maybe we should listen to them. And I really think that's going to be the pivoting point when, when students realize how much power they had. Because if students realized how much power they had as a demographic – things, the paradigm of university will begin to change. And it can start with NC State. Change starts with the students, but they don't have to do it alone. How are alumni, Raleigh community members, helping see the bell tower completed? As far as alumni go, we're, we're talking to a few people, and we're, we're just waiting on a few things. Number one, the economy. And as far as the community goes, we've been making really incredible strides. I'll, t I'll tell you a small tangent of how we get the seed money. The seed money is the, sh is the money that we put into the uh, printing of the shirts, that the shirts are then sold to the students, and the, the seed money multiplies. Where does that seed money come from? Well, since every single gentleman who was a builder of the tower 
you know, C.L. Mann, Colonel Harrelson, a lot of these campus names on buildings, they were all members of the Grand Lodge of Freemasons. Armed with that information, me and a few other uh, members of the Traditions Commission went to uh, the Grand Lodge of Masons just two weekends ago at North Raleigh Hilton, and something absolutely incredible happened. We go up there and we give this, you know, five-minute, basically, I just didn't think of this five-minute, you know, speech uh, about what I feel like the Masons' involvement on campus is and how they have historically been involved in many things from the city planning of Raleigh to the planning of the university to to the influence of agriculture on this campus to the technology on this campus to the engineering uh, influence on this campus is all been impacted and moved and guided somewhat through the gentlemen who were involved in those Freemason lodges. So I went back to the Grand Lodge uh, with those gentlemen I told you about and we stood up in front of them and we made our case. We stepped off the podium and the Grand Master stood up there and the Prince Hall Grand Master said, you are some bold young folks coming up here and asking us this. It takes absolute confidence and trust to do this. And for that, we are gracious to you. And that blew us away because at that point, the Grand Master looked over to his left and uh, to the gentleman by the door and he said, do we have time? And the gentleman said, well, the Grand, the Grand Master of Massachusetts is wedding out the door. And he said, well, we've, we've got time. And uh, we were like, whoa. And he reached under his podium, and he pulled out this black disc-looking thing, and he popped it out like that, and it was a top hat. And he said, we're going to do this the old-fashioned way. He passes it to his left, and he, he starts talking. And he says, you know, is, this is something we feel like we need to get back involved with. This is something that connects us back to the community and enables us to help out people at the university. Because it's a public institution, it serves the greater public good. The hat passed around, and by the end of the meeting, there was about $1,500 in that hat. They turned it over and dumped it out on this table, and they were counting it. You know, we were all flabbergasted at that. And some gentleman walked up to the Grand Master and whispered in his ear, and then he stood up and formally said, um, I would like to motion that the Grand Lodge match this gift and double it. And the Grand Lodge proper well, it was motioned, and like six different people seconded the motion, and it was absolutely unanimous from the several hundred people sitting in that room and it was absolutely moving to see that happen and so that three thousand dollars gets put into shirts and the shirts get sold and the money grows and that's what we're looking at to get students involvement with and once once that is moving along with the senior class gift and in may uh, when all those come together we see how much uh, how far we've come and what we can do to further move forward the students and at that point we know we'll have some people on board as far as the alumni go. So the community aspect has already been developing a, and fostering a wonderful relationship between those community groups and the students at the university in order to help us get to the goal of what we need. If you're able to raise the money, what is your final end goal? What is your, your vision of what you'd like to see come to pass? If I, could, if I can share with people the one goal I have for this project, it's, it's at the end. It's when every single group that has had something to do with this project on that dedication day, hopefully it's Veterans Day of me even being wishful, November 14th, 2010, that would be the day that I would hope to see the tower finished and restored. In conjunction with the renovation the university's planned, the 54 bells are in place, the staircase is there, and the door is open. And standing there around the tower are those groups that have been involved from day one. 
all the veterans organizations, all nine associations of North Carolina standing around the tower since it's a war memorial, all there in their complete regalia. All the ROTC units at NC State, all three of them standing there, flanking the tower, all dressed up in their full regalia. The fire department, since they were involved with the original Withers Bell project, standing there by the tower, almost in servitude as as our armed services are, risking their lives. They stand there in full regalia as well, along with the city council, the student body at large, the administration, citizens, all while both Grand Lodges of Freemasonry are laying the second cornerstone into the tower as in a public ceremony for all to see. And dedicated there is finally, almost a century after it was, or the cornerstone was laid in the beginning, the second cornerstone is laid or dedicated to finish the tower off once and for all. And that is an absolute point, a pinnacle of civic pride and civic unity that we can say as students, look what we started. Look what we can begin to perpetuate in the university community. Look what we can send ripple effects out to other universities and begin to set a standard, set a precedent for excellence. This is how we, NC State, its alumni and its community and its students all stand together with their constituents and everyone they're related to, how they stand together and stand for something and stand to mean something and stand hand in hand pushing excellence for the future. Thank you very much, Matt, for coming in and talking about the efforts to complete the NCSU Memorial Bell Tower. People would like to get involved in these efforts or just want to follow the progress. What's the next step that they should take? For those of you who are wanting to get involved more, our website is bells.com ncsu.edu and especially for seniors i think it's important for them to get involved as well and help leave their mark on this campus uh, especially with regard to the bell tower and if seniors are interested in getting involved with the project and the senior class gift and the senior class of 2010 uh, they can go to www.ncsuseniors.com and uh, the website is there and is also linked to the finish the bell tower website too and the facebook group is always a good place to start if you want uh, news articles and media articles and fly-throughs of the tower as it was designed they're all on the facebook page and the group name is just finish the bell tower and that wraps up another episode of eye on the triangle on wknc 88.1 don't forget to tune in next week from seven to eight monday night and check out the blog at wknc.org slash blog